Please continue with me in worship as I read our sermon scripture from Mark 9 and 10. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And then in Mark chapter 10, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And take, taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he, he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and, the, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors, and it is... Good morning. It's great to see you all on this first week of June. Glad you've joined us. Who's the greatest? No, seriously, who's the, who's the greatest? You're, you're the greatest is not the answer. Well done, though, whoever's down here saying these great things. All right, so who's the, who's the, uh, who's the greatest basketball player of all times? I got some LeBroners here, I understand. Hockey? I mean, it has to be Gretzky, right? I mean... Okay, so Chip or Joanna? <laughs> it's a mixed review, right? Avengers? Who's the greatest Avenger? <laughs> I just heard Thor. The rest of the names were just kind of muddled. <laughs> so we're not in agreement as to who the greatest is, it appears, on, on almost anything. Well, we're in a series in the book of Mark. In this series, we've been seeing Jesus 
redefining things all over the place. He's been redefining what it means, what love looks like, what discipleship looks like, and today he's going to fundamentally redefine what the good life looks like, what greatness looks like in the good life, and he's going to call it servanthood. He's going to say to to be the greatest in the good life in this kingdom of his is, is to be a servant. So we're going to look at this text under three headings, what a servant is not, what a servant is like, and how we become servants. What a servant is not, what a servant is like, and how in the world do we become servants? Well, first, let's look at what it means for a servant not to be, what a servant is not. Let's start with the most obvious element from this passage. Jesus, in chapter 10, verse 42 and the beginning of 43 says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so with you. What a servant is not is one who lords over, one who overlords. What Jesus is talking about here is that the rest of the world is seeking to have influence over their environments, over any kind of social construct for their own gains, to make their own way. And so they lord over. Maybe we lord over. We we dominate. Namely, by pushing others down so that in the process we can be lifted up. This is not a new concept. It had been around for millennia by this point, and it's been around since that time too. But notice how he says it's those who are considered rulers. They're great ones. Here's the thing. Someone who sees themselves as first, someone who sees themselves as great, will invariably lord over others. They're part and parcel. They belong to one another. They're going to seek to control others for their own gain, for their own purposes, for their own advancement, for their own elevation. And we've all seen it, right? We've experienced it in our offices. We've seen it in in the classroom. We've maybe even seen it in our own family, pushing down so that I can be lifted up. Jesus is inviting his disciples to become the kind of people who will have in their interior place, inside of who they are, the idea of being last. Not with people who say I'm last, but people who internally are functioning like they're last. And joining Jesus at the back of the line, which was where Jesus always is to be lifting up, to be shouldering under, not lording over. So what it means to not be a servant is to lord over. So so that's pretty straightforward. Don't lord over, don't domineer, don't overcome people with your power and control. That's not servanthood, and that's not greatness in the kingdom. Secondly, what a servant is not is someone who positions for proximity to power. You see James and John saying, we want right and left-hand spots. Now, this is perhaps one of the most sadly ironic moments. There's actually two moments, right? 
You saw that we read a little bit from chapter 9, and then we jumped over to chapter 10. These moments are probably not that far apart. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to be crucified. At the beginning of our passage in chapter 9, he's telling them, hey, guys, we're, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over. And then they arrive in Capernaum. He says, hey, what were you guys talking about? And they won't tell him because they're ashamed. They understand that the good life that Jesus has been talking about is not one where everyone's arguing about who's the greatest, but that's precisely what they were doing. Of course, then you jump into chapter 10, and he makes this other significant declaration about what it's actually going to look like for him to be crucified, to be flogged, to be spit on. That moment ends, and here come James and John. This is, as I said, sadly ironic There's this pivotal moment where Jesus is declaring the most fundamental reality about his mission and purpose and how it's going to unfold. And they say, like a five-year-old would, just like my kids did when they were little, hey, um, dad, I'm going to ask you a question, but you can't say no. If you're a parent and your child has come at some point, just say, you're not, you have to say yes to what I'm about to ask you. That's exactly what James and John do. What do they say? They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. The gall. I mean, a side note, what does it say about Jesus and the way he related to his disciples? The magnitude of his power, which we've seen in calming storms and and bringing demons to submission, that these two guys, after all these years, are coming up to him and being like, hey, how about you work for us for a minute? I mean, what does that say about how Jesus related the kind of grace that was mixed with his power? It must, it must have been amazing. But they come to him like kids do, and actually they come to him like God invites us to come in prayer. It's a prayer, right? Hey, will you, will you do for us what we're about to ask you? And like, like childlike prayer, we talked about prayer last fall, they come honestly as they are, right? <laughs> this is where they're at. And so here they come. It's not humble, that's for sure, and they've clearly missed the moment. But they come to him and say, will you give us whatever we ask? And Jesus doesn't turn them away. He doesn't say, hey, listen, why don't we try that one more time? I'm Jesus who made the world. He says, what do you want? You know why Jesus asked them what they want? The same reason why when my son came to me and said, give me whatever I ask you have to promise to say before I ask you, is because he wants to know what's in their hearts. You know that, right? That's, that's what Jesus is like. He wants to know what's inside of us, and he wants us to reveal ourselves to him so that he can interact with the real us. That's what prayer is like. It's, it's interaction with the, real, with the real us. And so he draws out for them, well, what, what do you want? Tell me what you want. And they do. They say, he said to them, what do you want from me? And they say, we want a position of proximity. Verse 37, and they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. James and John want proximity to it. Now, I don't know exactly if it's power. Clearly, Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, and their understanding of what it meant was that he was going to rise up and become the king that he'd been talking about being. He's a king for a kingdom. And so they're not listening to all the things he's saying about the fact that he's going to be betrayed and died and flogged. And they're not listening to that. They're thinking, we're heading towards some kind of glory, and I want 
it. I want proximity to it. I want to be near to it. I don't know what that was for John and James. Maybe it was two different things. Maybe it was, maybe it was fortune for one and fame for the other. But, but what they're not asking is for proximity to Jesus for Jesus' sake. And in the kingdom of God, to be great is to be the one who is closest to Jesus because of who Jesus is and what he will declare over you, which will allow you to become the kind of servant that you couldn't be otherwise. They want proximity to his greatness. And, and, and we do this, right? We, we want to be to the right hand or the left hand of something that really matters, whatever the it is, whether it's, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a successful company. Like you want to work for Google because they're just cool. Right? So you want proximity to Google, or you want to be proximate to, to a really happening church, or, or you want to be proximate to someone whose voice is really significant in your life, and, and you turn to it and you're like, I want to be near this because it is going to declare something about me. Just the basics of all forms of idolatry, right? I just want to be near. I just want some of it to, to leak onto me, and so I, I want to be proximate to that which has power and success. And so whose right hand do you want to be at? Whose right hand are you coming to make the request of if it's not Jesus, especially if it's, well, maybe it's Jesus for his stuff, right? Lord, I'm coming near to you because what I really, really and, and they do a good job, by the way. This is a well-couched prayer. We want to be to your right in your hand in your glory. I mean, they get a sense of like there's something amazing about to happen, and they're not trying to push him down. They're just saying, we'd like a piece of that. What, what are you trying to get a piece of right now? Because that will never lead to greatness, according to Jesus. What status, what honor, what privilege are you, are you sidling up to? Maybe a simple question to ask on your drive home is, what is greatness to you? Maybe you could ask your spouse or your friend or, your, or one of your kids, hey, what's, what do you think greatness is, in my opinion? What, what do I talk about? Is, is, it, is it how I hit my quota or how successful my company is? Is it the fact that I started a new company? Is it how, how well my kids are, that they're, the, that they're the greatest in their class, which makes me the greatest in the world? What is greatness to you? Well, what servanthood is not, what being a servant is not, is certainly not lording over, and it's not proximity to it. So what is being a servant? What is a servant like? According to Jesus, a servant is, is sacrificing. You might think, okay, well, that makes sense. A servant is someone who's going to do something for someone else, so there's some level of sacrifice. But what we see in the disciples is that they don't understand what Jesus is saying you see, they don't understand that when he's talking about what he's doing in Jerusalem, about to go do in Jerusalem, about to happen to him in Jerusalem, is a movement of sacrifice. It's what servants do. They move with sacrifice. One of the things that's fascinating, we don't have any time to deal with it, is that Jesus is walking ahead. Did you see that in, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 10? That Jesus is ahead of everybody else, heading to the cross. Everyone's like following behind. Some of them are like, I don't understand what's going on. The other ones are scared. But he's ahead of the pack, heading to the cross. You realize he's always ahead, right? He's ahead of you. 
in all the things that you're facing around. He's the one who's walking ahead the road of suffering and of sacrifice with you and, and for you. The servant understands that the good life is a life that means sacrificing. It means cost. That there is no servant who, for whom life does not have tremendous expenditure. Disciples didn't understand it, which is one of the reasons why they're jockeying for position right after Jesus is telling them he's about to die. There is no greatness in the kingdom of God without suffering and death. There is no greatness in the kingdom of God without suffering and death. It is the way of the cross. It is the way of Jesus. He points to it for each and every one of us. And of course, we know this, right? You, you, can't, you can't raise a child for 20 years or children for more than 20 years without it costing you. The only way that they're going to become fully f flourishing people is if you spend yourself for them. And honestly, if you don't spend yourself for their well-being and their equilibrium and their health, then they'll pay. So either you pay or they pay, but, but someone has to pay because they're weak. They don't have. Servanthood is sacrificing which is why Jesus looks at James and John and says, you do not know what you are asking for. They didn't. They didn't know what they were asking for. He says, can you drink the cup, the cup of wrath, the cup of the wrath of God that I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized, immersed in the wrath of God that's coming on me? And they're like, uh, yeah, if it gets us right and left, yeah, sure, we can do that. And he says, you, you, don't, you, don't know, you don't know what you're asking. You're not, you haven't thought through the implications of what it means to really follow me. You're not listening. You don't understand what it means to be great in my kingdom. Because you see, if you're asking for the right and the left, what you're asking to be is the greatest servant, the ultimate servant in the kingdom at my right and at my left. And he turns to them and says, you don't realize this, but you actually will indeed drink a cup of suffering and you will indeed be immersed in pain. And we see it through the book of Acts and James gets killed by the sword and, and John will live a long life of both persecution and struggle. So they will drink suffering and they will drink sacrifice. But Jesus is saying, you, you don't understand what you're asking for. The life, the great life is a life of, of dying, of suffering, of sacrifice, and there's no other way. Which reframes every form of power, right? Because in Jesus' economy, all positions of authority, all positions of leadership are just the chief servant. You're just the most servant. So whether you're a CEO or a congresswoman, whether you're a parent or whether you're a teacher or whether you're just a manager of some people, it just means you're the first and most servant. That's what power and authority mean in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' economy, the more you have, the lower you go. The more you have, the lower you go. Jesus is always at the back of the line bringing people to the front of the line. That's the economy of Jesus. Being a servant means using what power and resources and knowledge and influence you have for the lifting up, for the healing, for the moving of the people from the back to the front of making others 
First, it's wearing a hat that says, making others great again. Yeah, yeah. That's the economy of Jesus. Now, you notice that um, Jesus is talking about being a servant, not about being of service. You see, I would say most of the time, people's natural conversation or question that follows, I'm supposed to be a servant, is what kind of service am I supposed to do? Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Is it in the right context or the right environments? And, and that doesn't seem to be at all Jesus' preoccupation here. It doesn't seem to be Paul's preoccupation in, in the epistles. It's about a servant because a servant is a heart disposition. It's the kind of people Jesus wants us to become. A service is something that you can render regardless of the motivations you have, right? I mean, we all know this. There, there, how many of you have worked in some kind of service industry at some point in your life? A restaurant, a, okay. Let's take Chick-fil-A. I don't know why we're laughing. <laughs> when you get to the end and you say, thank you, a Chick-fil-A employee, while well, we say, my pleasure. Now, there are employees at Chick-fil-A who you, you sense that they have learned to say that line repeatedly. And when you say thank you, they're re basically regurgitating my pleasure because they get in trouble if they don't say that. They say, you know, you're welcome. But then there's people who you believe them. They say my pleasure and you have a sense of like, you know, I feel like it was your pleasure to serve me today. Like it, it What's coming off of you, what's emanating out of you seems to be that you're actually glad that I was here, that you're glad to serve me with the things that I came and paid for, and it is indeed your pleasure. That's the difference between service and being a servant. You see, service is just what an employee does in, in, in giving and rendering the service that it's their job. Whereas being a servant means that wherever you go and whatever you do, you're offering out of a heart of being a servant whatever service there is to render which means that wherever you go and whatever you do, greatness in the kingdom means you're a servant. Because it's not about what you're doing. It's not about doing the thing. It's your heart in doing the thing. So lead as a servant. Write code as a servant. Uh, take, lead your your neighborhood swim team as a servant. That's the kingdom economy according to Jesus. Which means that sometimes it's going to be really important that we be purposeful in taking, well, the lowest service. Maybe the most menial role. And, and that, there's multiple reasons for that. One, and maybe the greatest thing, is that we need it. Because if Jesus is saying, to be great in the kingdom, you must be a servant, it's not just about being of service, but actually having a heart that comes out as a servant, then we need all the help we can get, which means we need to step into moments and say, I'm going to, I'm going to demean and debase myself rightly before God because I want to be a part of his kingdom and how he is because I need that for my own sake, for my own heart. About 10 years or so ago, I think a little bit longer than though, that um, I was in the bathroom, which you can do great thinking in the bathroom at a public restroom, and um, 
I don't hear the voice of the Lord audibly, so just to be clear about that. But there was a very clear sense from the Lord that um, he invited me to pick up some of the hand towels and stuff that had been pulled out that were on the ground that hadn't been thrown in the trash. And I didn't understand the conversation. Um, Those aren't my hand towels. My mama taught me how to pick my stuff up and throw it in the trash, and I'd take care of me, right? And, um, but I obeyed because it seemed like that was from the Lord. And what happened in the following months is that every single time I went into the bathroom, the invitation of God was like, you, you should pick up, because there's always, always, at least in the toilets I go into at Starbucks or anywhere, there's always something on the ground. And what's been really cool is over the course of the last decade, there have been several times where I walked in and been like, I don't want to. But God has used that very small thing, and partly because I go into a lot of bathrooms, I meet with a lot of people. It's been this ongoing, recurring reminder of God inviting me to say, you're not better than this. And, and, and it's, it's surprisingly forming as I go over to some corner back behind the toilet and pick up a piece of trash. And again, this is not props on me. I don't want to do this, Okay. Just to be really clear, this is just one of the things that God has put on my heart and on my mind, the ways in which he's shaping me to say, and every time I have to say to myself, Lord, this is to remind me that I'm not better than this. I'm not better than anyone. There's no job I'm better than. There's no role. There's no nationality. I'm not better than anyone. Now, if I go to the bathrooms after the service, and y'all have thrown a bunch of stuff all over the floor, so I have to pick it up, I'm going to be really, okay. (laughs) That is not your application from that point. But we, so what's your, what's your toilet? What's, what's your bathroom moments? What are those opportunities that you're seizing to allow God to shape your heart? We must allow him to shape our hearts. Mother Teresa quotes actually in my office, uh, one of the lines, and it says, if you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. You ever found yourself choosing to do something that's a service and other people start being like, yeah, I know what you're trying to do. You're pl-. I love that quote. To me, that's one of those great moments of like, you want to be a servant? You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be maybe mocked sometimes. You're gonna, people are going to think you're doing something else. You're trying to get ahead. You're trying to be impressive. Oh, you brought in donuts for everybody. Who's going for a promotion now? You know, serve anyway. A servant is unbothered when treated like a servant. I couldn't find where this quote came from and who wrote it, but it's one of my favorites. Who, you can tell you're a servant by how you react when you're treated like one. You can tell that you're a servant when, when you're treated like one and it really, really bothers you. Maybe there's not so much of a servant's heart in you yet. Or maybe people treat you like a servant and you're like, yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Or actually, better yet, It doesn't even register. That's what it means to be a servant, which is why the ten don't exhibit that. They exhibit the opposite, right? The ten see that James and John have gone over and talked to Jesus and asked him for this. And to be clear, commentators are mixed, but not really. There's like two that say it could be one thing, but everyone else is saying, they're not saying, listen, James and John were disappointed. It doesn't seem like you understand the kingdom of God. It doesn't seem like you have a really firm grasp on the reality that to be a servant, you have to die. And we're sad for you. No. They're like, you guys got there first. Right? They're just like your kids. They're just like your friends. They're just like you, maybe. 
You, you're, you, got, you got in for, you asked first, and he's going to remember who asked first. Dibs, it's like shotgun for right and left. He became indignant. So how do you react when you're treated like a servant? What, what happens in you? Are you ever treated like a servant? Because if you're never treated like a servant, it, it may be that what you put out there is, don't ever treat me like a servant. Don't ever ask me for something that's going to indispose me or make me uncomfortable or encumber me. This is a volunteer organization, right? That's what the church is. There are some of you that it is very easy to ask to inconvenience. Whether it's, hey, we need extra chairs thrown in the back or there's some you know, trash on the floor in the men's room. Um, but there's, there's some of you that it's very easy. You, you ha- you've demonstrated you have the heart of a servant and it just it, it shows up. And there's others of you, it's like, I, I think I'm, maybe not. Maybe I'll ask somebody else because this, this, might, this might require more than it is. Do you, do you know what, what you put off, what you put out there? What, what do you like? Do, do people readily come to you and say, I know this is not your job, or I know this is, I know this may seem a bit menial, or I know this is not something you might have time for, but, but would you be willing to, not for pay, but, but because you seem to have the kind of heart that seems to try and lift up and help and, and be there for, and, and I could use some lifting up, some, some being there for, I, I got needs What would Jesus say? Lastly, to be a servant, a servant is like is to serve all. To serve all. Chapter 9, verse 35, he says, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In chapter 10, verse 44, he says, And whoever would be first among you, must be slave of all, servant of all, slave of all. What that means, that means to be a servant of those that, well, honestly, will express their gratitude. The kind of people who, in turn, may at some time be able to repay you or to do a favor for you. It means being a servant for people who don't seem like they may need anything. Yes. And it also means to serve people who are never going to say thank you, who are never going to acknowledge that you did anything, and the kind of people who will forget you as soon as you've served them. It means both. And everything in between. Now, there's no doubt that if you look at the the thrust of what Jesus talks about in the Gospels and with the Scriptures, it, it heavily leans towards, if you want to serve, you want to know that you're serving, you serve the least. You serve the The last. You serve the people who have tangible and real needs because, again, servanthood is sacrifice. And if someone doesn't have any needs, then it's probably not going to cost you anything, and it's not going to form and forge and reveal the beauty of Christ in you and through you. It means all, though. And that may, that may seem really cumbersome to some of you. It may actually feel a little overwhelming But Jesus, in chapter 9, pulls this little kid up and pops him on his lap, and, and he says, listen, 
In verse 37 of chapter 9, he says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. Now, children are not like they are now. I mean, yes, they were like they are now, but they weren't viewed like they are now. Children were special. Children were a problem until they were productive and helpful to the economy of the family. They were the lowest. They were the subordinate in the home. And so with Jesus, he's just taking the entire teaching of the, frankly, ancient times and flipping it on its head and saying, what I want you to do is I want you to be someone who receives the least, the lowest, the most subordinate. You want to take this person in. And of course, he attaches himself to it. Which if you read the Bible, this is exactly what Jesus does. He attaches himself to everything he calls you to. And he says, when, when you serve and receive this little one, you receive me. Oh, it's actually better than that. You don't just receive me, you receive my father. You receive God Almighty is participating in what you're doing here. That's how you are a servant of all. And so, so who's it hard for you to serve? Or maybe who, who, who would you refuse to serve? Like, I have a really hard time serving, sacrificially serving people that I don't feel are putting enough effort into their own problems. And that's none of you, of course, but just other people. But seriously, this is, this is really challenging for me. Like, if I feel like, you know, like, which is, by the way, indicative a little bit of my interior world, that, that effort and grace are a little bit mixed in for me. I, I, I want to please God by what I do and accomplish, and I want you to do the same sometime. And so I have to do a lot of work to kind of keep that in check. But, but internally relating, I, don't want, I have a hard time serving. If you're not going to put your, kind of your shoulder into it, then, sorry, the amount of your shoulder that I think you should put into it, that's more like it. I don't know if I want to serve you. You don't deserve my service. You don't deserve my, my sacrifice, which of course, by definition, sacrifice is never deserved. But that, that's, for me, that's what it looks like. And so hopefully that doesn't keep any of you. God uses tremendous things in my life to undo these areas of brokenness, but you have them too. And so my question is, who would you not serve? Who do you have a hard time serving? Maybe it's people who have Maybe it's people who like, don't look like they need anything, which that person doesn't exist, but there's people who pretend like they don't need anything. What does it look like to serve them? Servant of all, slave of all. I do want to say, a real quick note. Being a servant of all doesn't mean you're responsible for everyone. Some of you need to hear me. Being a servant of all, a slave of all, does not mean you are responsible for everyone. You are responsible for anyone God gives you. Because I have good and bad news for you. God will not give you the grace and power to serve and sacrifice for the people he has not called you to and not called to sacrifice and serve. He won't give it to you. And that's his kindness, by the way. Otherwise, you'd just be running amok. Instead, his kindness says, I actually have a very particular set of people and environments and contexts in which I'm wanting who you are to manifest itself. So you might be wondering if you're trying to serve or sacrifice in a context in which you have no business being, maybe that's why it feels so heavy, burdensome, and crushing. Could it be? It may be. It may not be. But could it be? 
Sacrifice always costs. It doesn't matter if God's placed you smack dab in the middle of it and given you all the power. It costs, but it is not crushing. His burden is light, and his yoke is easy. So are you yoked with him as you serve people? What a servant is is a servant of all, which means that hopefully by now, as we've talked about all the things that a servant isn't and all the things that a servant is, you are appropriately weighed down. What Jesus calls people, what he calls his disciples to sounds ludicrous if you think about it. I mean, did you hear the words? Like we've just broken them out a little bit, but did you see and hear the weight? Can you... Can you drink the cup? Can you, can you carry the weight? I want you to serve all, to be a slave, a doulos, like, like the bottom of the bottom, to everyone, to anyone? I got good news. It is impossible. Which is why we must become servants. How do we become these kinds of servants? Verse 44 of chapter 10. Four, Jesus said. He said, listen, I want, to be great, you have to be a servant. To, have, to be first, you have to be last and slave of all. And then he says, four, let me give you the motivation. This is the motivation. It's not your own pride. It's not trying to gain something. It's not making God happy. It's this. Four, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Loved ones, if we are ever going to be servants of any measure, we must see Jesus, the unequaled first, the unparalleled greatest, who did not come to be served because he deserved to be served as the most, as the most impressive and most greatest first. He didn't come to be served, but, but to serve we have to see him deserving to be served, choosing instead to serve, to give himself away, choosing to become unparalleledly lost and last, to become the chief servant of all, which is precisely what Paul famously writes in Philippians 2. Verse 6 through 8 says, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, listen to these words. This is not an idea. This is, this is what happened. That Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The only way we're ever going to become servants is by seeing Jesus going and taking the last spot in line and inviting us back there with him. We have to see him not just going back to the back, we have to see him coming back for us. Or to see him coming and wrapping a towel around his waist for us and dropping to his knees and wiping our dirty, messy feet for us, because he came to serve, not to be served. 
And you'll notice in the upper room when he, after he washes the disciples' feet, he washes them first, and then he says, what I've done to you, now you go do. Not go do this. All right, let me give you a little bit of an example. No, no, no. He's, he demonstrates. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand this well. And he's saying, you have to follow my way, but you have to let me do it to you first. And if you don't let him serve you, you will never serve anyone. You see, because ultimately the only way we become servants is seeing Jesus ransoming us by taking our place so that he came, so I gave to give his life as a ransom for many, Jesus says, a ransom for many. A ransom is, is this, uh, it's, a, it's a merchant term. It basically means someone who comes and purchases back a slave or, or a prisoner of war. And, and that person does, this person is going to redeem this person. They're going to they're gonna take the value of whatever the person is worth according to whoever's selling them or whatever the debt is that they have to pay. And and they're going to sacrifice, and they're going to pay that debt for them. That's what it means to be ransomed. But, but it says he gave his life as a ransom. It's, it's not just a ransom. It's a substitutionary ransom. You see, Jesus didn't just pay cash for you. He paid himself for you. And the only way that you're even going to get even close to trying to move towards paying and giving yourself away is if you see him having done that for you. You see that, right? It's, it's the only real motivation. Otherwise, all other motivations will become sour, worn, and eventually resentful. We will not sacrifice and we will not die unless we see Jesus giving himself for us, which is why Ben Witherington says it this way. He says, Jesus came to set people free from the wrong sort of servitude so that, like himself, they might become free servants of God, exchanging all false masters, all proximity to a false master for a true one. Jesus did his life for ours. We have to see ourselves as having been served by Jesus in order to become the kind of people who will serve for Jesus as Jesus. Jesus Christ came not, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom so that as he ransomed your life, you might become the kind of person who can come and go to your world, your neighborhood, your friends, your family, your work, and not go there to be served, but to go to, to serve and, and to give your life as a ransom for them. That's the way the economy of God works. That's what the good life, that's what greatness is in the kingdom of God. And that's precisely what this meal reminds us of every single week. Loved ones, you have to be served and to the degree that you know how delighted and loved and received and safe and accepted you are because of what he's done, because he's taken your place, because he's substituted for you, then this meal is good news and it is life and it is freedom and it is energy to move into the very places God has called you to. 
So come this morning and be refreshed by receiving, by him serving you through the symbols of the, of the body and the blood that, that he substituted, he ransomed you through these elements. They declare what he's done for you. And so come and receive them and, and ask him, Lord, will you make me a servant? I want to be great in your good life. Would you do so in me by your grace and power? I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for being the one who ransoms those who do not deserve it. Thank you for coming to the back of the line because we are all at the back of the line. We are all last. But you came for the least, for the last. And so we come this morning and we want to receive from you. We want, to, we want to take this cup and we want to take this bread and we want to remember the magnitude of what it meant for the king of the universe to humble himself, to be a servant, and thereby inviting us to move into the world as the servants like Jesus. We cannot do this on our own. You must do it in us. And so we pray for your power and your grace and your joy. To the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. And this is your meal. So come forward and receive the body and the blood of Christ for you.